you all have been such a blessing to my wife and I since we moved here. We have found folks in Texas to be extremely kind and welcoming, and Conroe Bible Church in particular. And until you really make a move to somewhere that you've never been before and uh, around people you've never met, uh, you don't know how important that can be. And so uh, you have been a blessing to us, and I, I just want to begin by saying thank you for that, uh, for your friendship, for your hospitality, and uh, it's, it's just been amazing, and uh, we appreciate you so much. Well, David Varon, name you probably do not know, a man from Oceanside, California, was a young medical corpsman on a landing craft, World War II, heading toward a beach. The island was the island of Guam. The landing craft hit a reef, began to take on water. Commanding officer ordered everybody off. Donald jumped off. And in his own words, he said, I sank like a rock. His equipment, everything he was on him, pulled him down. He forced himself to the top, gasped for breath, only to sink again. But in that process of that sinking the second time, he was aware of another soldier near to him who also was floundering. He grabbed instinctively a hold of the other man. And somehow, that gave him enough buoyancy that he and the other man both made it back to the surface. Eventually, clung on to some part of the reef and was rescued by a boat. Well, Donald was thankful to be alive, but he always felt guilty about grabbing on to that other man. In the, in the moment that he did that, he was trying to save his own life, but he felt like he was endangering somebody else's. He never told anybody what happened. Six months later, he was on leave in San Francisco, California. Walked into a restaurant, only to notice a sailor in uniform across the, the uh, restaurant, waving him over. And so he moved toward the man, and as he approached him, he realized who he was. It was the soldier that he had grabbed onto in the water. He didn't know what to say. Then that soldier jumped to his feet and introduced him to his friends and said, this is my buddy. This is the man who saved my life. Donald said, what do you mean? The sailor said, don't you remember? We were in the water. We were in the water together, and I was drowning, and you reached out and grabbed a hold of me, and you saved my life. He said, I was, I was going down. I was going down, and you held me up. <laughs> in the church, in the Lord's work, as disciples of Jesus Christ, in our everyday lives, 
we too hold one another up. We hold each other up. God planned it that way. He means for it to be that way. We need each other. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 10 in a moment, but for now, just let me set the context for you. In verses 1 to 6 of the 10th chapter of Matthew, Jesus commissions the 12 in a more formal way than what he would have done or said at their initial calling. He's about to send them out to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the nation of Israel. And all 12 are named in those verses. And it's not, it's not readily apparent in the English, but it's very clear in the original that he names them two, 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 six pairs grouped together. Why? Because he knew they would need each other. Now, this was prior to his rejection by the nation, which is, which will shortly come in the context. And he is sending them out on a special mission at the moment. But what he says to them in the following verses leading up to our text this morning is all about discipleship that applies to any and every generation. In fact, in verse 23, he mentions that what he is telling them, they need to continue to do until he comes back, until he comes back. That, that covers the whole of the church age, the tribulation, right up to the second coming of Christ. And what he is doing is he is outlining for them the principles of discipleship in general and the principles of working for the glory of God and achieving his will and fulfilling his calling in their lives. But without each other, he knew they wouldn't make it. We always need each other's help and encouragement. We are co-laborers. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, Paul says that Apollos was a fellow worker. In Philemon, verse 24, Paul calls Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke fellow workers. God intends for us to work together as his disciples. Well, that's very important because the world hates us. Jesus told us that that would be the case. The world hates us. Satan attacks us. We often suffer from our own poor decisions and willful sins. And we have to endure many trials. And through it all, we need each other. We need someone alongside who will hold us up. We are laborers together. That brings us to our text this morning. And with this thought, this idea that we are laborers together and understanding the importance of it in mind, let's talk about the two requirements that falls on every believer. We are not just a few that are in the ministry that work together. We are, as a church, as a body of Christ, 
We are shoulder to shoulder with each other. We depend on each other. And as laborers together, every one of us has a couple of requirements that Jesus outlines here this morning. And the first requirement is simply this. Laboring together requires personal acceptance. Personal acceptance. Now we see this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 40. He who receives you, Jesus said, receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. You see, the importance of us receiving or accepting, admitting someone else into our life, especially in the, in the uh, work of the ministry, it's important, it's critical, because if we do not accept others, if we do not our, accept our responsibility to them, if we do not allow them access to our life, then we are keeping Jesus at arm's length. He who receives you receives me, said Jesus. The word here in the original, to receive, is the word that, that simply means that when someone knocks on your door, you open the door and say, I'm so glad you're here. Come on in. That's literally what the word means. It's admittance, admitting someone into your life, admitting someone into your fellowship, recognizing the bond that you have. So Jesus said, if you don't receive each other, you're not, you're not making a place for me in your life. Receiving someone in practical terms means giving someone your time and attention. It, it requires making someone other than yourself your focus and your concern. You know, if someone, anyone, refuses to have anything to do with someone you love, say you're wife, your husband, your, your children, your grandchildren, you're probably not going to find that person someone you're comfortable spending time with, right? That's pretty natural. Well, it is so for God. If we do not accept each other, we, we are literally putting up a no admittance sign on our door in relation to a God. Over the years, and I, and I appreciate this so much today, Pastor Dave, because for, for 40 years I was up here every Sunday. And uh, it's nice to have a break, but to tell you the truth, at this point I, I really have missed it. So uh, this is a joy for me. But over the years as a pastor, I, I have heard so many of God's people say something about others in the church that has always bugged me. And the phrase goes something like this. Well, you know, old brother so-and-so, I just don't like him. Or I don't just, I just don't like sister so-and-so. Well, the point is here from God's word, we need to learn to like every brother and sister in Christ. Now, I, I, granted, I, I understand. And I think a lot of times when people say this, what they mean is, I don't like it when so-and-so does this. Or I don't like it when uh, this person 
acts this way. That, that, that's reasonable. But to then make a blanket statement, to, then, to render them somewhat, I just don't like that person. That's a whole other story. And so the acceptance of others is the acceptance of our Lord and Savior. But Jesus continues, and he says this in verse 41. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Now, first of all, let's just remind ourselves there are no prophets today. Ephesians 2.20 says that the apostles and the prophets were the foundation of the church. Well, when those foundational days, those transitional days passed, we no longer have prophets. But by way of application, we still have those who are teachers and those who communicate God's word to us. So you understand the application here. But he says, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet. What what does he mean by that? I think he means this. Whoever receives a prophet because he is a prophet. Because of his place, his purpose, his calling. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall shall receive a prophet's reward. And the word receive in verse 41 is a different word in the original from what you find in verse 40. In verse 40... He's talking about personal reception. But he moves on to the idea of possession. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But to understand that, we have to understand the concept here of reward. Jesus didn't comment on it. He didn't give us any details. But we understand that we will be rewarded for everything that we do with the right motive. This is within the will of God come what's known as the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. And uh, whatever it is, whatever that reward is, and, and, and we don't need to go into it now. I'm not sure that I could even explain it or, or we can all fully grasp what it is. But whatever that reward is for the prophet, for the preacher, for the pastor, that reward is also given to those who receive the prophet. You know, here in a two or three more months, the Super Bowl will be played. And when the game is over, they'll bring out the Lombardi Trophy. And they will present it to the winning team. But here's the thing. All the fans in the stands who have been there cheering that team on, do not get to take home the profit or take home the, uh, the reward for a day or two and set it on their banner. That would be ridiculous. There's thousands of, thousands of fans, and there's only one Lombardi trophy. But you see, there's more than one Lombardi trophy in God's plan, if I can use that terminology. We will receive a prophet's reward. And this word receive here in this case means we reach out and we take something 
and it becomes ours. It's reception in that sense. But let's continue. Again in verse 41, And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. You see, most of us can't identify with putting ourselves on the same plane spiritually, at least in our minds, with someone who has uh, a leadership position in our church, perhaps. Well, and, and so many people think of themselves as just, well, I, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I do what I can, but I'm really not that important. That, that, that really is what so many concluded in their minds. And, and Jesus is saying that's, that's not the case. See, not only is it possible for you to receive a prophet's reward, but if you just receive a righteous man. Now, the, the righteous man is any, any other believer. Romans 5.1 says that we have been justified by faith. And because of that, we have peace with God. Well, the word justified means to be declared righteous. So when he says receive a righteous man, he's talking about any other person that has been declared righteous because in reality, none of us are righteous. We're only righteous based on the blood of Christ. So this is more general. This is without any particular distinction. If you hold up the brother or sister who's seated next to you, who lives next door, you receive whatever reward God has for them. And so personal acceptance, giving someone access, admitting them into your life, doing what you can for them, Understanding that serving Jesus Christ is not a lone wolf proposition. It's a mutual proposition. So the first requirement of laboring together is that attitude of personal acceptance. But there's a second requirement. And that second requirement is this. Laboring together requires practical assistance. Not just admittance, not just acceptance, not just the right attitude about others, but active, practical assistance. We read this in verse 42. And whoever, in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink. Truly, I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. I'm intrigued by the word little ones. And I was for a long time, too. I did some research and found out he's not talking about little children. Now, little children would be included but could, but historically at this at this point in history the jewish rabbis would always have a group of potential rabbis learners disciples if you will that followed them and that they taught and prepared for what god would do in their lives in the future 
And that group of disciples they referred to with this term, they referred to them as little ones. Not little in stature, but little in importance at the moment. Insignificant. And Jesus is saying here that whoever, in the name of a disciple, because they are disciples again, in the name of a disciple, whoever is a disciple, even the most insignificant one as far as you're concerned, the newest believer, the most immature Christian, the one who is wayward at the moment, Whatever it is that you conclude, and we are prone to do that as human beings, unfortunately, is to make those determinations in our mind. Well, this person's here, you know, and this person's here. Well, Jesus says, whosoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink shall not lose his reward. The cup of cold water here represents the simplest of needs. Now, I know today we go to H-E-B and buy our water or somewhere else. And and we do that. But I didn't grow up with water on the shelf. Yeah, I'm that old. (laughs) Our water came out of the spigot in the kitchen or in some cases out of a well. When I, when I was a, as a child visited my great-grandfather, which I loved to do, my brother and I would always make a beeline for the back porch because on the back porch there was a porch built around a well and there was a bucket with a rope and a crank And it was so fascinating to let down that bucket and pull up some water. But I'm telling you what, when you dipped that water out of the bucket with a tin dipper and drank it, it was the most refreshing thing, I think, that I, at least in my mind, it is the most refreshing drink I've ever had. But there was no charge. I know, maybe we lived in a small town. Maybe maybe Dad did pay a water bill. I don't know. But it was just there. We didn't have to pay extra when we wanted a drink. It was readily available. And everybody needs water. And yet it's a very simple need. Even the day when you consider what we pay for it, we don't pay much for it compared to a Coke or something else. Water is not costly. So anyone can give someone else a cup of water. But water is not insignificant. It's very necessary. Water is refreshing. It's interesting in the original here, it says a cup of cold. It doesn't say water. It just says a cup of cold. It was pretty much the only thing cold in that environment. That cool water from out of the well was the only cold, the only cool available most days. Didn't have refrigeration, didn't have ice. It was refreshing. Water is refreshing. Water is satisfying. When you're really thirsty, a good sweet tea just doesn't do the trick. That's great for supper. But when you're really thirsty, water, you need water. It's water that satisfies. And water is sustaining. 
sustains all of life. And water is essential. Essential to life. Around 15 months ago, I preached this text on my last Sunday after 29 years as pastor of that church. And I preached it much differently than I'm preaching it this morning. But in that message, I detailed a lot of personal things, things that God's people had done for my wife and I and my daughter and my son-in-law and so on over the years. The most, the, the most practical little things, little gestures, they were the things that meant so much. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. It is those within the congregation that give their pastor and others a drink of cold water that keep him and whoever they give it to that keep them going. There was a lot of times over 40 years when Monday morning came around, I was ready to get going, not keep going. It was God's people who offered us so many cups of cold water, encouragement, sustaining water, refreshing, and that which was so essential. Whenever we give a fellow worker, a fellow Christian, something that to us may seem insignificant because, well, it didn't cost very much. Maybe it didn't cost anything. We don't realize how essential that cup of water is. A cup of cold water may refresh a weary pastor, a weary teacher, or just anybody. But not only that, it may offer a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that comes your way to help someone. Let me illustrate this. Leonard Sly, you may or may not know Leonard. He lived in Ohio but moved to California at 18 years of age. Leonard Sly could sing, but he was backward. He, He didn't like to sing in front of people, didn't do it much. But his older sister pushed him, encouraged him, and somehow convinced him to go on stage some sort of amateur event. The result was that launched Leonard's musical career because his older sister stepped in at a critical moment. Leonard Sly later began a group called the Sons of the Pioneers. And at first they were a very struggling group. Later on, they were very well known, famous for the word, for the song, by the way, Cool Water. But they were barely making ends meet. They certainly weren't making a living. And Leonard heard that Republic Pictures 
was conducting a, an, an audition, I guess you would say, a screen test. And they were looking for a singing cowboy. He went. He stood in line for a long time. Finally, he got up far enough, he realized they had to pay a fee to be auditioned. They required 50 cents, a whole 50 cents. Now, I realize it's probably like $5 today, but it was a pretty small amount. And Leonard, disappointed, turned, stepped out of line, and walked toward the door. When some man coming in the other direction recognized him, he said, Aren't you Leonard Sly, who sings in the Sons of the Pioneers? He said, Yes. He said, Why are you leaving? He said, Well, I don't have 50 cents. The man reached in his pocket, gave Leonard 50 cents. He went to the screen test, and he became Roy Rogers. Now, I understand for you folks that are younger than me, you're going to say, who is that? But let me just tell you a little bit about Roy. He appeared in over 100 films in the 1940s and 50s. He was one of the most well-known personalities in America. He had a TV show that I watched as a child. Roy Rogers, Dale Evans, Trigger, Bullet, the whole thing. I mean, Roy Rogers was everybody's hero. And not like, not like cowboys on today's movies, okay? The thing about it, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans were dedicated believers. They were part of a group of... Hollywood personalities that started the Hollywood Christian group in 1949, which later became a church in Bel Air. But Roy Rogers would never have been Roy Rogers, and he would have never had the platform and the opportunity to be a witness to Jesus Christ across America if someone like his sister hadn't encouraged him to take that first step. If someone like that man who handed him 50 cents hadn't been there, that is what a cup of cold water represents. 50 cents was nothing to that man. And that encouragement he got from his sister didn't cost her a thing. Laboring together is reflected by our personal acceptance of each other, but not only our personal acceptance of each other, but also our practical assistance that we render to each other. How critical that is. How important it is. J.R. Miller was a well-known Christian writer and pastor. Shortly after the Civil War, stretching into... Well, I think he died in 1910. And he wrote these words I'm going to share with you. Because you see, when you give someone a cup of cold water, even though it's so important, so essential, and so helpful, nobody will much notice that. It's not on a stage in front of everybody. But even though it's nothing to the people who observe, God sees it. Just like the widow who cast the two coins into the treasury in Mark 12, Jesus said she's put in more than all the rest. 
Nobody noticed those two coins, but God didn't miss it. And so when we give a cup of cold water to another disciple, the Bible says, truly, truly, I say to you, he shall not lose. Jesus said, he shall not lose his reward. The original is very explicit here. It's a double negative. He's basically saying this, he shall never, ever lose his reward. It's a double emphasis. We'll be rewarded for it. Unless, of course, we take that reward now. That leads me to J.R. Miller. And I think this is not only instructive, but it's very encouraging. Because most of us, when we give someone a cup of cold water, whatever it is, we don't go around and talk about it. It's just, it's just a moment that passes off of memory. J.R. Miller said this, Tell no one of your kindness you have been doing. Do not keep a diary, writing therein a minute record of your charities, your words and deeds of love. Let them be forgotten on earth, even by yourself. There is a place where they all will be written down. That record is enough.